It's time for the Counterclockwise podcast from the Incomparable Game Show. Recorded in March 2015, Counterclockwise, four people, four nerdy topics, 42 minutes. Welcome to Counterclockwise, a podcast that goes through the looking glass. I'm your co-host Dan Morin, and somewhere in across the galaxy from me is my co-host, Jason Snell. This is the evil Jason Snell wearing a goatee from an alternate dimension. Dan. I, I don't believe you wear a goatee. I feel like it's a thing you have or you don't have. I don't feel like you get up in the morning and put on the little it's fake like goatee. It's like Abed on Community. I just stick uh, on a okay. felt one. That's fair. That's yeah, fair. Pretty much. So what, what, is, what, is, what are we doing here? Well, Counterclockwise we? is like our podcast that we do on Relay FM that's called Clockwise, except instead of tech topics, we talk about nerdy topics, and uh, we have a theme, and our theme this week is Star Trek. To my right is the first of our guests, the inimitable David Lore. Hello there. Not to be confused with Lore, the brother of Data. I used to get that a lot. Yeah, I, I imagine. You, the similarities are just... They're uncanny. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I smile and do evil things. So, Speaking of people who do evil things, to my right is the host of Random Trek, Mr. Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Hello. I like to think of this podcast as an audio version of a Klingon paint stick. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we were going for. So thank you for, your, for the compliment. There is no honor. It, I don't even know what I'm doing. Klingon <laughs> things. So, so uh, hey, Dan, since you introduced the show, you get to go first. What's your first Star Trek-related topic for Counterclockwise? So far be it for me to ask you to pick your favorite character across all the various Star Trek mediums, but what is your favorite character across <laughs> all the previous? <laughs> Choose now! <laughs> and, and just to, you know, let's, let's, there are a lot of great uh, guest characters and recurring characters, things like that, but let's, let's keep it to major cast from the movies and TV shows. How about that? There's a limiting factor for you. Uh, so, yes, we'll start with you, David. Well, so much for the outrageous Okana. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you guys know who my favorite captain is. And you probably know which is my favorite series. But I have to say my favorite character is probably Jean-Luc Picard. Because he's just, there's, you know, again, how much of it is Patrick Stewart and how much of it is Picard? I don't know. But there are just, there are depths to him that I want to know more of. He, he's one of the few characters where I want more. I want to know more about his history. I want to know more about his past. I want to know more about his time on the Stargazer. I've read, you know, several not very good novels just to get a little bit of the Stargazer history and, you know, little things like that. And and part of it is that I just like hearing Patrick Stewart say things. So, uh, yeah, I would have to say Picard is maybe my favorite character. Wow, that's a good one, David. I, I mean, I, I, I can't argue with that. Um, does, is this like the um, Saturday Night Live draft on The Incomparable? Does everybody get Mr. Spock? Or <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can, you I can pick Mr. Spock, Hardin. but yeah, I, you know, it's, that's up to you. Scott, that's a call that you must make in your Scott, own Scott, do you want do you want me to pick Mr. Spock, or do you want me to not pick Mr. Spock? Uh, I think you should follow your heart, Jason. <laughs> um, I, 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 uh, it, wow, this is a tough one. Uh, Dan, you sure I can only pick one? <laughs> start start with one? Start with if, one? If All I could right. have picked two, I might have gone with Cisco too. Who's your desert island? Like, if you had to spend some time on a desert island, 
Which character oh. would you be hanging out? With? Oh well, that thing oh, is, a, very, that's a, that is that's a, a different. Question. That is a very different <laughs> oh, question. Oh, please. Um, no, no, because even even if we, well, take, I'm trying to help you narrow this down, even Jason. Take, I know how hard it is for you to choose. If I if it was on Desert Island with Captain Kirk, he'd just be marching around the Desert Island, saying, like yeah, looking okay. for a fish to trick into getting us off the island or All right, something. Jason, I'll give you. I'll give Wait, you an easy question. Which which one's your favorite child? <laughs> Like, yeah. As long as we're just making <laughs> yeah, them sure. ones. These, these, these brutal. Well, so I, you know, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm I'm gonna go out of the obvious category, and I'm gonna say I'm actually gonna say Dr. McCoy. Um, I love Dr. McCoy. Mm. He is um, so angry, so cranky, <laughs> and yet he also brings that that human factor. He's a great audience. Um, uh, representative a lot of times in in the original series and in the movies where he is uh his reactions are in many ways our reactions there's very much a like a come on i can't believe this kind of thing um i like his irascibility i love the i am a doctor not a whatever catchphrase it's always really good you never feel even though he's a really cranky guy you you also feel his humanity he is a he's a good man he's trying to take care of everybody he get he gives it to spock because um, they have, I think, they're, because their relationship is strong enough that that uh, that he knows that that uh, it's it's Spock can take it <laughs> and Spock can dish it out himself, and I love that relationship too. He's a confidant to Captain Kirk. Um, in the movies, he is also great. I really enjoy his uh, his uh, his role in the movies. There's even a, a small moment um, that I like where where he just. Uh, he Carol Marcus calls for for Captain Kirk in Star Trek Two, and uh, and McCoy says, "Wow, never rains but it pours." And uh, and Kirk gives him this look and says, "You know, you you know what it's like to reopen old wounds, Doctor." And he storms out of the elevator. And I love that. I love that moment where McCoy's just looking after him and goes, "Sorry, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, wow, I was kind of being a jerk there, and it was inappropriate. Sorry about that." Uh, so I love I love McCoy. I think DeForest Kelly's performance is great, and I think Carl Urban is actually fantastic as the as as McCoy and really channels that same spirit that DeForest Kelly had and made me remember how much I like Doctor McCoy. So I'll say Dr. McCoy. Yeah, I can I can go with that. He he'd have been like my third choice. And and honestly, he has maybe the only good things in Star Trek 5. I love his his sequences there. Yeah, about his about his family and dealing yeah. with uh, death and yeah. all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I put him up there with Kirk and Picard. I think those are those are and Spock. Those are like my four favorite, I suppose, characters. Yeah. Scott, pick one. <laughs> Well, I, I have a, a question about uh, how you define uh, main cast huh. and how many episodes <laughs> you need to be in. Uh, but I, I will stick to the spirit. Uh, if uh, well, I'll stick to, stick to the letter of the question, if not uh, the spirit, uh, and pick one of my favorite Next Generation characters, who also happens to be one of my favorite Deep Space Nine characters. Uh, and for people paying close attention, you should know what I'm going to say. Uh, Worf Yay. is. Uh, a character who endlessly delights me. Uh, he has a, a little bit of the grumpiness uh, that uh, Dr. McCoy brings to the table. Mm. Uh, but then you add in uh, s- barely restrained violence <laughs> into the picture, <laughs> uh, which is always good. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's a, a fish out of water because uh, he's a Klingon, but he was raised by humans. So he's really he's got that little kind of uh, Spock flavor in that he's trying really hard to be the best Klingon he can be and yet the other Klingons don't accept him uh, and he has a very nice arc where you know he, he 
in the first couple seasons of The Next Generation, he just kind of stood in the background and said, uh, why don't we kill them uh, whenever someone had some sort of plan? Uh, and then he's kind of become more nuanced throughout uh, the seasons uh, and and certainly in Deep Space Nine, where we get to see him fall in love with Judzia Dax and, and then deal with uh, how that ends. Uh, we see him in a lot of situations with uh, Klingons and, and trying to deal with that. Uh, he has a son, Alexander. He has to deal with uh, the death of uh, Alexander's mother. Uh, spoiler alerts. Uh, he has to deal with raising a child, even though he's not really that thrilled. Of course, his solution is to ship the child off to another planet mm. and not really deal with him. <laughs> but uh, what can you do? And, of course, it, the writers seem to delight in putting Worf into situations that just make him uncomfortable, uh, dressing him up in green tights and making him say, I protest I am not a merry man, uh, is, is one of my favorite Star Trek moments. Uh, great choices, everybody. I think I would pick, if I had to choose just one, as I the rule I set for myself, uh, Benjamin Sisko, which I, I think I heard David mention. Yeah. But I think the thing that I love the most about Ben Sisko is that he really does have such a great arc from where he starts to where he ends up. Uh, and I feel like that's not as much the case with so many of the other characters that we see. And, and as much as I, I admire Patrick Stewart and I like Picard, I feel like I'm not sure that Picard at the beginning of the show is tremendously different from Picard at the end of the show. There's definitely some stuff that goes on there. But Cisco has so much happens and you see his his evolution um, and he has to deal with being the emissary and running this station that's, you know, trying to, in the middle of, you know, this galactic conflict and then the Dominion War and he leaves for a while and he comes back. And I just, I really feel like he's such a fascinating character. He's very human. Um, and he has the whole, you know, he's, he's raising a kid on his own for a long time. He embarks upon a new relationship. I love the fact that he hates Picard. <laughs> it's just because, like, it's <laughs> yes! such a great way to draw the dividing line between, yep. This, uh, you know, this this is not the next generation here. Um, I love that he loves baseball and that he can be kind of uh, dry and sarcastic, but also just a great heroic character. Um, and in particular, just got to love Avery Brooks just channels so much into that. Just from the gravitas to the he seems like such a warm and humor I don't know if that's that a word, humorous guy. Like, he's just like, he's expansive and joyful a lot of the time. When you see him really enjoying something, he's got that like big laugh. Um, and he, my favorite moment from him is always going to be the episode in the pale moonlight where he records his, his, uh, his personal log and then at the end erases everything. So I think he's a complex character and he's really interesting. And I would love to just have a beer and watch a baseball game with him. Yeah. One of the things I love about him hating Picard at the beginning isn't even so much that it makes a dividing line between them. It reminds us that Picard was a Borg and did horrible, right. horrible things, too. Yeah, yeah, nice. exactly. It gives more depth to Picard's character, too, yeah. I think, because it seems like yeah. there are so many. Everybody else regards him as such a hero. And there's this one guy, you know, there's probably many guys like Cisco who more, lost yeah. someone, right? But like that's we see it through the lens of Cisco where he lost his wife because of Picard, even if it wasn't really Picard's fault, you know, there's a responsibility there. And I just, I think that, that Cisco is such an interesting multifaceted character. My favorite other bit for the dis, this, uh, distinguishing him from Picard is the, the one Q episode on DS9 where he boxes with him. <laughs> you hit me! Picard never hit me! <laughs> such a great moment. So yeah, I'll pick Ben Cisco. And let's move on to topic number two, which I believe is Mr. David Lowers. Ah, okay. Uh, well, you know, I watch the shows over and over and you know there are little details that 
wind up in a story to just sort of move it along or, you know, it's it's an important thing that they need to do and they don't necessarily think through the implications of it or remember them many, many, many years later when they come, you know, do something similar. And I was watching an episode, which I will get to later, uh, where I noticed something and I started thinking about other moments in Star Trek history. And I thought, what is there, what, what scene or plot element have you noticed that might have been a throwaway moment or, you know, a detail that, that seemed, you know, a little important, but maybe not like the main thing of the plot that in rewatching later triggered a new story idea for you or new, new headcanon if you bust. For me, it's a story idea. Hmm. Yeah. So for me, I, I came up with a with a long list of them, which I'll just kind of blow through here. Oh, um, cool. I, I actually do like um, something you mentioned uh, in our emails before we did this, the idea of uh, Kelsey Grammer's captain uh, from uh, Cause and Effect mm. and uh, his crew at wearing the Star Trek movie uniforms as being fish out of water and exploring the next generation universe from the perspective of people from the James T. Kirk era. The movie Kirk, at least, and era. I, I, I like I like that idea. I think that was really interesting. You also could throw in um, the characters in that last first season episode, the Neutral Zone, who are the twentieth. There's the guy who wants to watch the Braves on TV. That guy, and, and yeah. he's really annoying. But uh, and then there's the mom. These people who've been thought out from the twentieth century. People uh, watching the Federation from uh, the perspective of people from more or less our time. I, I always thought that was interesting. Um, uh, Dr. Bruce Maddox's quest to make new data androids, I, you know, after he didn't get allowed to disassemble data, I thought that was an interesting uh, element with story possibilities behind it. Um, I'm fascinated by the uh, all the uh, information they drop about baseball in Star Trek. We get uh, we get a mention of it in uh, Next Generation, and then we have that that uh, baseball episode of Deep Space Nine. I think there's uh, something there as a baseball fan that I'd love to see. But I'm going to say the one that I would pick as as the single uh, moment is. Um, is it a moment? Kirstie Alley's character of Savik in Star Trek II is really interesting to me as a uh, the head canon, the the novel canon, the original screenplay canon is that she's half Vulcan, half Romulan, and that she's um, she's struggling with her identity in a different way than Spock. But Spock is her mentor, and that this is a way to introduce younger Starfleet characters into into the Star Trek movies. Now, unfortunately, they recast and sent her, and then we never saw her again after Star Trek. Three, and then they were going to make her the villain in Star Trek Six, and then they didn't, and they they cast Kim Cattrall instead. But um, I I would love to know more about what became of specifically Kirstie Alley's more much more interesting than Robin Curtis Savick and her uh, career and her struggling perhaps as the science officer on like Spock was on another uh, Federation ship. I think that would be uh, uh, an interesting set of story possibilities that sadly we never got to see. Scott? I have a specific episode that ends uh, with a very foreboding ending and then it is never followed up with ever again. The episode is Conspiracy, in which imagines yeah. these tiny little weird uh, parasitic aliens are infecting the top ranks of the Federation and moving stuff around and redeploying assets for their own nefarious means uh, and data and the, the crew of the Enterprise figure out what's happening uh, and track down kind of the, the mother uh, parasite uh, and blow it up in probably the most grisly scene that I've ever seen in any Star Trek uh, uh 
thing ever. Uh, and then at the end, Data says, oh, they were transmitting a signal deep into space, uh, which I think is probably a homing beacon, and uh, setting up this whole thing where they're going to come to Earth uh, with some, you know, mysterious fleet or something. Uh, but no, it never, never again mentioned. Uh, <laughs> or so one can assume either nothing ever happened or the uh, Starfleet is completely infected by these parasites. And every subsequent Star Trek episode we have seen uh, that is after, chronologically after that episode, has been the because of the machinations of these aliens. That would explain Harry Kim and Chakotay. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, let's see. I was going to say I really wanted to know more about um, the character Boothby, the groundskeeper at Starfleet Academy. <laughs> but apparently he shows up in a bunch of Voyager episodes I haven't seen. My favorite um, version. Uh, so I was going to – actually, the other thing I was going to say was the um, – so the episode Yesterday's Enterprise, where the Enterprise C shows up in sort of like an alternate reality um, where there's a – you know, we get this whole different picture of this uh, this universe that could have been. Um, and we find out that some of them, like later on, I guess, you know, Tashi, the, the Tashi Yar from the alternate universe ends up, you know, having a kid and we meet her, the half Romulan one, uh, her daughter later on. But we don't really find out, you know, a lot of what happens with, you know, sort of that whole alternate reality. I'd be curious to know, like, what is that the only incident of that alternate reality is then its collision with our reality? Or is there a in, in Star Trek, you know, multiverse, is there a whole nother alternate reality going on there? Because I feel like. You know, it was just a fascinating look into this very different uh, existence where Starfleet was not exactly what we would take away from the the next generation approach. Um, so that's I always like the alternate reality stuff that they play around with. Between that and um, I think what is it, Future Imperfect is the one where Riker lives is like inside a simulation uh, and is at some point you know eventually figures it out because data uses a contraction or something like that um it's another interesting alternate sort of future universe because he's like the captain of the enterprise and it's just uh, they're trying to trick him into revealing some information or something like that i think that's really clever but i really i really wish that actual alternate universe had been more developed i feel like you could do a whole maybe without going into someone else's question i feel like you could do a whole show of alternate universes <laughs> <laughs> what crazy what? Well, the, the one that struck me uh, the other night, we watched Mirror, Mirror. And uh, as we know from, you know, uh, episodes like Sarek and um, uh, Unification, I think it was, where, yeah, where Spock and Picard mind meld. And, and he says, you know, I once mind melded with your father. Yes, I know. I felt his essence there. So so there's some, you know, residue. I mean, that's a horrible word of of people with whom you have mind melded in the past. And, uh, you know, as part of Mirror Mirror, at the end, uh, spoilers, they have uh, left Dr. McCoy in sickbay to help evil Spock recover, and they all go off to the transporter room. And evil Spock wakes up, looks at McCoy, pushes him against the wall, and mind melds with him. And I don't know why it never occurred to me before, but suddenly I'm thinking... The end of Star Trek Two, our Spock mind melds with McCoy for a moment, and and then I thought, well, what if what if evil Spock and good Spock came in contact, and maybe that, you know, wouldn't that be interesting if that's that's really what caused McCoy to go over the edge in Star Trek Three, you know, just weird little details like that. It was sort of like, 
that would be an interesting thing. I mean, you couldn't do an episode based on that, but I'd love to read a short story about that. I don't know. But but yeah, I mean, there were there were so many little little things. Uh, you you all had great choices. Um, you know, there, there there's so many more interesting things than the details they pick up to do in the current novels, where they go, "Ooh, let's just have Lenore Caridian come back." Eh, okay, big deal. All right, um, great topic. My turn now. Um, here's what I wanted to ask. Imagine, and this is a little bit of a fantasy scenario, but imagine that uh, Star Trek is returning to TV. It would be really nice if that finally happened sometime. Um, you know, there have been rumors about you know, would CBS do a show or do it on the CW or would there be Netflix streaming? Does it conflict with what the movie stuff is? It's shared ownership between uh, Paramount and CBS. Uh, but regardless of that, let's just say Star Trek is returning to TV. What is the series that you would want to see? And uh, let's start with Scott. Uh, well, I mean, there are so many possible series that I, I thought of. But I've always been intrigued by uh, the idea of having a show that centers around characters that are not in Starfleet. Uh, and they are they're together on a ship for some reason. Uh, kind of sounds like uh, Firefly. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they're they're not you know running. They're not outlaws or anything like that. But they're they're exploring the galaxy and kind of maybe running up against the the strictures of uh, Federation space. Uh, and uh, you know they're 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 a scrappy group of people looking for for you know adventure uh, and just seeing what's out there. Uh, because I feel like every Star Trek has been uh, on, you know, about exploring and for the greater good and all that great stuff, and that's fun. But how about a little, uh, a little more uh, action and uh, grit? The fringe elements, exactly. Uh, I, I personally would love to see a Star Trek show that is about Section Thirty One, uh, and I know we got a lot of Section Thirty One in Star Trek Into Darkness. But I think both between that and DS9, uh, I think there's a lot of questions about this shadowy organization that sort of is like, you know, a little bit CIA-ish, but kind of even creepier. Um, but it might be interesting to like look at it from a perspective of, you know, especially in the alternate, the J.J. Abrams universe, where Section 31 has done all this terrible stuff. Maybe it needs to be rebuilt. So you're going to sort of come in with a fresh group of people and they're trying to build up an organization because they do. There are threats that that need the Federation needs to be protected from that Starfleet's not equipped to deal with. Not everything is perfect. Uh, and I think, you know, you could do a really interesting sort of espionage slash cloak and daggery type show that is set in the Star Trek universe where you have them dealing with you know the the sort of uh less uh out less like ostentatious threats and instead dealing with sort of the what's happening behind the scenes and the political machinations and the dip diplomatic relationships between all these different entities and maybe people cross lines sometimes and what does that mean so i i think it would be really cool to see sort of a spy show set in the star mm. trek universe that dealt dealt with all those those different elements well you know i i was reading Todd Vanderwerf's thing in Vox.com about how could Star Trek work on TV and it's time for it to come back. And it just reminded me of a thing I proposed almost, what, 18 years ago. Um, you couldn't use the title now because of Stargate, but I, I proposed an idea called Star Trek Continuum. And the idea was that you would do story arcs through a season, kind of like Wise Guy did back in the 80s, where you know, you have a couple of episodes focusing on Sulu and the Excelsior, and you have a couple of episodes focusing on 
the aftermath of Deep Space Nine. And you have a couple of episodes set in a different part of the Star Trek uh-huh. universe. And, you know, sometimes you might have a two-part or a three-part thing. Maybe you have a standalone thing here and there, and so you can mix them up. You never know where you're going to be next week. Um, and that way you can amortize your costs by saying, okay, we're going to do eight episodes with Sulu and eight episodes here and eight episodes here. And then maybe the following season you bring back one of those threads and then maybe you do a second and a third new part of the universe. Or maybe you do something completely original or maybe you tie in with Peter David's New Frontier books. And, you know, they probably couldn't do that now just because, uh, you know, the casts, the original cast is withering away and uh is is vanishing one by one um but you know you could still do something along those lines and and especially with the netflix model for the marvel series that they're doing Mm -hmm. you know you could do 10 episodes set after voyager 10 episodes set after deep space nine Uh, you know i'd like to see what happened what what became of things will ben cisco ever come back how is admiral janeway doing what's picard doing now uh, I think that would be really interesting. And with a 10-episode run or an 8-episode run or something like that, a short-run Netflix uh, season, and then, and like you said, the Marvel, where, where they've got like three, I think, uh, three or four three series. Three or four. That are four. Four, four that are stacking, that are like 10-episode series each that are coming out. That you, could, you could also have it be story-based and say, this is a story set in this Star Trek universe, and maybe it's got various characters from various Star Trek shows that all right. kind of interact. You could also um, do something like, you know, you're never going to get a TV series featuring the, the, the actors who are in the Star Trek movies, right? But right. could you do a, uh, could you use those actors in key parts of a larger story arc and you know have Absolutely. chris pine come in for a couple of shows or something like that you might be able to afford that you might be able to do that and uh i i love i love this idea that it's such a rich universe the strength of star trek is is this rich universe that's been built up why not take advantage of it yeah and one of the things that really excited me about the voyager episode that that had sulu in the excelsior and all was that tuvok was on the bridge. Yeah. And and suddenly, now you can see how you could build a story arc that, that crosses your different little areas mm. and go, oh, well, maybe Tuvok is the link between all of these stories. Or maybe it's another character that brushes up against them. Who knows? Yeah. So a lot of exciting possibilities there. That's a, I, I really do love that. I, I think that the Netflix, there, there are rumors about Star Trek on Netflix and the, the Netflix Marvel approach of saying we're not going to just do a show on CBS and hope it goes and it's going to be some starship, but saying we're going to do a whole bunch of different Star Trek things and they're all, you know, uh, going to roll out over the, the course of three years, I think would be a really exciting way to, to do it and make it a much more uh, interesting uh, use of of uh, the universe that they've got. I have two that I wanted to throw out there. One is m- very standard, which is what you know. My dream would really be to do a show that's set in the original series era, right down to the costumes and the sets, like the fans mm-hmm. are producing. I think at this point it's just iconic, and and y- the writing would be more modern. But the ha- using those crazy gold, blue, and red shirts and stuff, I I don't know. It, it kind of looks awesome. Uh, I think that would be fun. I think it's not realistic, so I'm gonna say I would I, I wouldn't mind a captain and crew of a new ship said in the J.J. Abrams universe, being able to use the production design from the J.J. Abrams movies. And uh, I'll throw out that maybe in a, in a scenario like that, maybe the captain's not the main character. When we did our, um, our, our TV uh, character uh, pitches at one point, uh, I, I did a pitch on The Incomparable that was like West Wing on Star Trek. And the idea was that mm. you're, you're seeing a bunch of char- 
characters on a mission, but maybe the the captain of the ship is not is is kind of on the periphery. Of course, we know how the West Wing worked; they wanted to do that there, and it right. didn't, it didn't work. You gravitate toward the captain, so maybe that would would happen here. But if we put Rob Lowe on it, everything would go great <laughs> until he well uh, until he leaves two <laughs> seasons later. Go to Starfleet Medical. Um, yeah. The uh, my alternate my alternate pitch though is I, I, thinking about some sci fi novels I really like, um, uh, like uh, John Scalzi's got uh, in I think Zoe's Tale. He's got a few books that are set on these planetary colonies in the old man's war universe. Um, he also wrote uh, uh, like a rewrite reboot of uh, a book called Little Fuzzy that is similarly mm-hmm. about people on a on a planet that discover the uh, you know strange alien uh, and, then, and then there's like what what does that all mean and is there a backstory there or a book that we read Scott. Um, uh, Fire with Fire by Charles Gannon, mm-hmm. which which is a one segment of it is about a a guy who discovers something surprising on a planet um, that that is ancient and uh, secret and and is trying to be suppressed. Or um, I, when I think about the uh, Alex Benedict novels. Um, by uh, Jack McDevitt, that's a space Indiana Jones kind of guy, an archaeologist who uncovers again a kind of a plot. I would love something like that, like some like people living on a colony in the Federation. Uh, so it's an undiscovered, it's a just discovered planet, or maybe it's a lost colony and they they're rediscovered and there's a secret there, and it's a space show that is Star Trekky without it being these are the voyages of the ship, and maybe something like that would be fun and be able to carry some of the weight of Star Trek behind it too. I, I I don't know that might be interesting lost meets star trek mm. oh oh what what if lost was a star trek we show we just didn't lost know it lost in, in space, space. <laughs> yes. oh, lost a, in stars it'll never work start printing the money now okay scott what's your topic <laughs> well i i am a loyal counterclockwise listener mm. so i know last episode uh or i don't know what the schedule yeah. is uh <laughs> we've only got this is number two how loyal are you huh this is, uh, this is number two loyal. so in our preview in our only other counterclockwise you, you have listened to a hundred percent of the episode yeah. <laughs> exactly you're you're discussing star wars uh, yes. uh for some reason and uh the topic of vehicles came up uh, and that made me think about how much better Star Trek vehicles are in comparison <laughs> to Star Wars vehicles. And so the obvious question then becomes, what is your favorite Star Trek vehicle? And now you feel free to either pick a particular ship or other kind of vehicle, if you like, uh, or a whole kind of uh, class of ships. Uh, I like that Scott, as my nemesis, has chosen my question from Star Wars and applied mm-hmm. it to Star Trek. <laughs> well played, McNulty. Well played. Uh, if I had to pick just a single ship, I think it would clearly be the USS Defiant, which is an awesome, awesome ship. I just remember being over at my friend Evan's house for the first episode where that shows up. I think it's the season three or four premiere for Deep Space Nine. And, you know, it decloaks and then comes around and then shoots these, like, phaser bursts that are actually, like, like not like this, the, the Enterprise's phaser, but, like, little pew-pew-pew things that it shoots. And I was like, <laughs> and we're, like, freaking out over there for some reason. <laughs> this is awesome! Uh, and I just, I totally love that ship. It's small. It's maneuverable. It is armed to the teeth. It has a cloaking device that they had to have, like, a Romulan on board to run for a while. Um, and it's just such a cool ship. I mean, there's a reason reason that thomas reger decided that he needed to take that ship because that ship is awesome um so i feel like the defiant for me is the the single best ship uh in terms of you know an individual ship if i had to pick a class though i would say that the runabouts from ds9 are also up there 
because I just again I like that they're small and they're compact, but they still had like warp drives. Uh, you can use them to go a lot of places. It's like the it's like the compact car of the Star Trek universe. Like you don't need like a like an SUV Enterprise thing. You've just got this little like Honda Fit starship that you can drive around. It gets great mileage. Uh, and all that so yeah the defiant is the best hands down the rest of you whatever you say eh, not quite as good thanks and though <laughs> you, you you picked the shuttlecraft with warp drive as your favorite class of starship uh the the yeah it's that pretty is, awesome that is lame <laughs> oh. <laughs> whoa whoa sorry are we in a no judgment zone here interesting choices dan interesting you're going to pick something better than the Defiant? Be the my Defiant, guest. Defiant is a pretty good choice. I, the Defiant is pretty good. It's just the runabouts. They're like, hey, what I love the runabouts. Had they're they're great. Drives. Okay. Oh. <laughs> and they're named after rivers on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So that's they are named after rivers. Several of them blow up, so they have to keep getting new ones. Hope they don't run out of rivers. <laughs> David? Ditto. Uh, <laughs> wow. I mean, you know I was saying, Mr. Snell? <laughs> He you loves love, runabouts. You love runabouts too? <laughs> but, 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 I mean, the Enterprise is iconic. The Enterprise is gorgeous. I wouldn't want to fly it. It doesn't really look like it should be able to fly. I still don't quite buy that it flies. It flies because we accept it. The Defiant is, you know, that's your hot rod. Uh-huh. That's, it's, uh-huh. it's compact. It's, it's everything Dan said. And, you know, uh, it's just cool. So, yeah. The, yeah, totally the defiant. All right, I I uh I had two that I uh, thought about uh, seriously. I I really like the Enterprise D. The first time I saw it, I thought it was weird, but I really kind of love it. Um, I think the Excelsior is great, and I still feel kind of sad cool. that in Star Trek three or Star Trek four at the end they don't they don't pan over. It would have been totally unrealistic to say like we repainted the Excelsior and it's now the Enterprise. <laughs> Take this cool looking ship, but they don't do that. Um, Mr. Sulu gets it later. But I'm going to say my favorite Star Trek vehicle is the classic Klingon battlecruiser, not the we are cheap. And so we're going to reuse the Bird of Prey model and we're going to say that the Klingons and the Romulans have an alliance and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I am going to say the classic Klingon battlecruiser, as I think best may be seen in Star Trek the motion picture, believe it or not, at the very beginning. I love that crazy, it's got the little thing coming up the front and then it's got the, the like the legs that go out. That It looks like it could land somewhere and then ski down a mountain or something. <laughs> That's a um, weird shit, man. It is weird and interesting and kind of menacing. And I always liked the Klingon ships in the original Star Trek too. I thought they were I thought they were good. It was when they started mixing and matching Klingon cruisers and and uh, with Romulan cruisers and Klingon birds of prey with Romulan birds of prey that I thought it got really weird. Um, but the classic big Klingon battle cruiser, especially the motion picture version, I think it's actually uh, a really nice. A uh, bit of work. It's the it, in some ways the motion picture goes downhill after the Klingons get destroyed. <laughs> in um, some ways, in all ways, that's a <laughs> really awesome ways. opening scene. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm going to pick that, Scott. Excellent choice. I also like uh, the kind of the updated version of that ship, the the Vorcha class. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's cruiser, good. Too. Yeah, uh, which is like they they took that original model and said, let's just add some more stuff and uh-huh. make it a little more sci fi y looking. Yeah, but it's the same silhouette, uh, basically. Yeah, exactly. The giant cannons on the front instead. <laughs> yes, it's awesome. Uh, I did not pick that though. Uh, I, uh, as uh, discussed elsewhere in another time and place, I enjoy Romulans. Uh, I also. <laughs> enjoy their ships uh so i'm going to pick uh the romulan warbird mm, uh the nice dederdix class oh dederdix class oh those are the cool gigantic they're so much, yeah they're uh, so much bigger than they, you think they are too 
I know it's 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 hard to judge in space, but then when one decloaks next to the Enterprise, you're like, "What? How big is this thing?" It is ridiculous and it's fantastic. Uh, I like that it has like that weird uh, kind of like emptiness between the nacelles and 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 the, the shape of it it just looks menacing uh, it has a cloaking device which is always cool uh yeah. and it's powered by uh an artificial black hole mm-hmm. which is kind of awesome as well the first time you uh, see that in that in that neutral zone episode i believe it's mm-hmm. it's like what the hell is going on and it's uh, and they and literally it's not a very good episode they say we are back goodbye and then they're gone <laughs> but, but they have really cool ships it's so cool so cool I'm with you there. Although the Maquis ships are pretty cool, too. The Maquis Raiders. There are lots of... uh, There are uh, many things that are better than runabouts. (laughs) 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 I I just said I liked runabouts. I wouldn't pick a runabout. (laughs) Yeah, no. I wouldn't drive... A runabout is the minivan of Star Trek. A crazy person would pick a runabout as a favorite. I'm telling you, they are fuel efficient. (laughs) That's right. You you could run out of any matter at any moment. Um... I think that's the end of our four topics. Dan, do we have a bonus this time? We do have a bonus. That bonus question is, which runabout would you pick? No. <laughs> <laughs> Orinoco. Yangtze. Um, Rio Grande, clearly. Uh, <laughs> the, the Galileo. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh. Uh, so, Star... It's boxy. Starfleet. Boxy, but safe. <laughs> Starfleet is... is uh, is divided into a number of different departments as seen by the insignia on the uh or the uh, the symbol on the insignia in the classic series as well as the shirt color and of course the shirt color uh, the uniform color in tng and thereon so i would ask you of the many divisions and the ones i, I listed here are command operations science medical security engineering which starfleet department do you think you would work for which one would you like to work for david well, not security, because I want to live. <laughs> I was waiting um, for someone to pick it. Yeah, not medical, because blood. Uh, not uh, ops, science, or engineering, because science. So clearly the only thing I am cut out for is command. Yeah, I like to yeah, bluff. We should vote on that. Very nice. Very nice. I I, uh, I think I, I'd like to wear a red shirt. Ah! <laughs> Jason died. No, I, I always picture myself in Captain Captain Kirk-style uh, gold shirt. Not the, not the weird off gold green blouse <laughs> but the actual shirt with the braid the gold so braiding i'm, gonna go, the, I'm gonna go with the command uh, command gold is the one that is the one that i would i would prefer i think although let's be realistic here as a computer nerd i would be wearing a an, an engineering shirt probably and and uh fixing computers or is that sciences or, or is that have, ops maybe yeah, that's operations i'd be wearing a gray shirt and just be ignored by all speaking characters I'd be an extra, is what I'm saying. Or, or Wesley, apparently. Mm, ooh. ooh. Can I get the Wesley jumpsuit with the rainbow <laughs> yeah, stripe? Oh, yeah. There you go. You I don't that. want I don't that. You I'd rather wear the red shirt. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would go to Starfleet Academy. I'd be so excited. I'd uh, take a bunch of command classes, and then they'd be like, uh, you're better off in operations. And I'd end up in uh, ops. That's fair. Yeah, I, we may I all always, be in ops, Scott. <laughs> I wanted to be in engineering because Jordy was my favorite TNG character. Oh, and I always just thought it would be yeah. awesome to hang out in engineering. Uh, but the, the gold shirts in TNG are really ugly. So if I had to go by color, it would be command. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the nice thing in engineering... There's lots of time while they're, they're killing time to act like miracle workers. Well, plus they've got that whole big uh, Microsoft Surface table in there, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. which is great nice. for That's Pong. True. But you have to watch out for the coolant leaks. Yeah, the ambient light from the warp core is really nice, too. It's a, I think it's a Philips <laughs> Hue. You can adjust the color. 
with your with your pad. It's natural light, essentially. It's the only natural light you can get on the whole ship. It's full. It's spectrum. great for tanning, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. nice white noise. Yeah, it's very relaxing. Down they, there. They, that's where all the babies. They take all the babies down to engineering <laughs> when they're having a tantrum. Put them right to sleep but in the warp core, <laughs> and irradiates them, which is great. So, yeah. <laughs> oh. all right, Dan. I think we're at the end. I think we've made it. After all, I would like to thank. David Lore for being here on this second episode of Counterclockwise. Why, thank you for having me. Live long and prosper. And Scott, you have been and always shall be Dan's nemesis. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Thank you for having me. It's always good to talk Star Trek with you. And Dan, that's two Counterclockwises in the books. I'm getting dizzy. We keep spinning around. Uh, You should stop spinning. That is not recommended. Uh, Please consume this podcast while sitting perfectly still. So uh, you stay tuned uh, next week for another incomparable game show, and we will see you in about a month. So just until then, remember, everybody, keep watching the clock. And watch what you say, or Section 31 will Ooh, get you. scary. <laughs> see you next time. Bye. <laughs>